Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. Today we continue with part two of last week's discussion on gun rights, gun responsibilities, the Second Amendment, along with Mike Cox and Bob McQuarrie, our guests today, along with Dr. Michael Walker-Jones and Nick Remesong. Our discussion continues. And also, let me throw out there too, Stavrul, uh, you've got uh there were three videos that i watched uh and maybe you can talk about things that uh, uh, that michael uh, you know for example i learned uh from watching you how to clear a misfire for example you've got some stuff that mm-hmm. out there uh and yours is free as well as you click on your youtube channel uh talk a little bit about what motivates you to sort of put that kind of information out there for us civilians Well, I guess mine is more from the female perspective of things. My main audience is women. And I think that because my information is coming from a woman, it's more relatable to them. Um, I see a lot of women taking like the basic safety class and then they kind of filter out as the classes get more and more advanced because like a lot of the live fire classes I've gone to, a lot of the classes he teaches, women will take the first couple and then as the classes get more advanced they taper off and I think it's just because of like an intimidation factor you know a lot of men are going to be there you don't want to mess up Um, so my channel I'm just trying to make it accessible I want women to know that these things don't have to be scary that training is important so knowing these things is important and I'm just trying to get the information to them in a way that's not scary or intimidating one of the things I'd like to do here for a moment, this is Peter J. Uh, what I'd like to do is remind everybody that this program is also available as a podcast afterwards by going to our WFPR.FM website. And as a podcast, um, it is available uh, online to anyone who is interested in information. And the information that I would like everyone to provide, Michael, how can people go to your website? How can people contact you for follow-up? Um, just go to our website, yeah, www.safeinsight.net, and it has all the information on there, all the free training, everything you want. And also, Bob and Stavrula, you also obviously uh, advocate for gun safety and so on and are great trainers. How can people follow up with you? Uh, people can find me on YouTube. My channel is called She Equips Herself, mm-hmm. and uh, he's in my videos a lot, so you'll see him in there too. And my website <laughs> is sheequipsherself.com. And in so doing, I encourage people, rather than making empty assumptions about what gun ownership and what gun safety and your relationship to guns is, 
I would encourage people, whether you own a firearm or not, to learn more. And in learning more, perhaps you will have a better insight into where we might go with respect to gun legislation. And I think that's a great exercise to be informed. And, you know, we are very fortunate to have our guests today as uh, experts in training who've provided a tremendous amount of insight. And with that, Nick, let's continue the questioning. I think we're having a great conversation. We are indeed. And I I just want to address one point Stavrula made that she aims it toward the females. Well, I've watched several of them uh, since our last uh, meeting, and I I learned quite a bit. And I'm obviously not female. So I think they're they're good for anybody. Anybody. I mean, I recently just started watching some Smith & Wesson uh, gun handling range uh, use taught by a woman she's it doesn't really matter it does not matter the the basics are the basics what you have to do is what you have to do uh now having said that i just want to touch briefly if we can upon one aspect that in particular i am concerned about and that is the availability of automatic weapons uh be it an ar-15 a bushmaster something high capacity firearms that they serve, at least in my mind, they serve no purpose in home defense, nor do they serve a purpose in hunting. I mean, if you go after uh, any kind of wildlife with an automatic uh, uh, rifle, it's not going to be of any use to you as a a trophy or as 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 eating. So how, particularly Michael Cox, and the Macquarie's. How do you feel about the availability, the existence of automatic weapons being available to citizens off the street? Yeah, but and, and before they get into that, let me ask the question because uh, Nick, you're using the term automatic, and let me see. Well, if, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. And let me see if I'm as a civilian who's trying to learn more and more about weapons. I think that the law says automatic weapons are already banned, that there's no such thing as automatic weapons, and that what we're really talking about are semi-automatic weapons. And that doesn't mean that they can't fire rapidly, but automatic and semi-automatic are two different terms. And so, Michael, Bob, Stavrul, help me out here. Am I on... Am I just really out in left field and I'm totally wrong? What, you know, what is, or is there any distinction between automatic and semi-automatic? You, you took the words out of my mouth. That's where I was going. I, and I hear that all the time, the, the automatic, the automatic, the high capacity that, okay, but let's break it down. What an automatic means is I press the trigger and hold it and rounds continue to come out. Mm-hmm. A semi-automatic means I press the trigger and a round comes out. And as quickly as I want to press the trigger, I will get more rounds as long as there's rounds left in the magazine. So um, that that's the distinction. And we're, you're, you are correct uh, to my knowledge, and I don't know every state's laws, but to my knowledge, virtually every state prohibits automatic firearms. So I, I think we're I think we're good on not having automatic firearms. But to Nick's point, he's asking about semi-automatic rifles. And um, he did, uh, to his credit, he said AR-15, not assault rifle. Most people don't know that AR does not Mm -hmm. stand for assault rifle. (laughs) It stands for Armalite. Um, But also 
assault is a is a action. It's a verb. It's it's not an adjective. It's not a descriptor of something. So I could use a golf club as an assault weapon. Mm-hmm. These rifles, though, get that name assault rifle and everybody freaks out about them. They're told that they're assault rifles that are automatics with huge magazines. And I'm not discrediting you on that, Nick. I'm just saying that that's the general yeah. public concept. And that's not that's the, the concept I have. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the concept at all. And, and to to back up on that, let's talk about any firearm. You're saying what is and again, I'm not I'm not you know, discrediting you. I'm just saying no. your question was. There's no, there's no point really that you can see in having a semi-automatic rifle that has a high capacity magazine. Well, let's talk about the high capacity magazine. You're generally talking about 30 rounds, generally. Um, some states have restricted them to 10, but most of them have 30 in them. Okay, so now we've got 30 rounds and it's a semi-automatic that will fire as quickly as I want. Okay. What distinguishes that from, say, uh, a Glock firearm with a 17-round mag in it that's a semi-automatic that I can press 17 times? I mean, there's still a, a numerous amount of rounds, and how can you say that that has no place in home defense? I absolutely have a couple of ARs for home defense. They're locked in my safe, but I have my, my firearm to get to my safe to get my big ones out, and I absolutely have them for home defense. I'd like to add something here. Um, And I think it's something that we don't really like to talk about. And it's the second amendment. I don't believe that the second amendment was for hunting. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we think that society has moved past the point where a government won't take advantage of its people. But I don't believe that human hearts change that much over time. So I think that a government would absolutely take advantage of its people. And the second amendment was written for us to defend ourselves and our freedoms from tyranny. So hunting isn't really part of that equation. The Second Amendment was written for us to defend our freedoms. Oh, well, yeah. Yes, but through the uh, through the state, the, the individual colonies, uh, I mean, the, the language is for a well-regulated militia, and the militia at the time was obviously an organ of the state uh, to defend the, the territory against outside uh, invaders and uh, tyrants, which was the fear that uh, the federal government could become. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't so much as a simple outsider reading it. It looks like um, I know the Supreme Court interpreted differently in the 1890s. And uh, since then, that but, damn Supreme Court just doesn't like uh, going with uh, whatever other <laughs> the original uh, intention. Always were. a speed bump. So, mm-hmm. so you know that's that's the puzzle. As an outsider looking at the the raw document, it seems to say that the Second Amendment is something that's to give the state the power, the individual states the power to resist the federal uh, danger of federal tyranny. So, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there and. And stir the pot a bit. That whole the people part, though, you know, like the, that, the, right people, the people, right. the right of the, the right of the people shall not be infringed. Like that people thing, it doesn't say the right of the militia shall not be infringed. Right. And not to mention, if you look no, at, no. at the age groups of of what the militia should be, so if, like, mm-hmm. if you yep. wanted to get into the definition of militia, now you're going to be talking about you know men age like let's say eighteen to forty something years old. So now everyone's all mm-hmm. now we're in the militia. So now it's like, you know, so I, like, I think the Supreme Court got this right way back when, where it's, you know, it is the right of the people to keep and bear arms, the people, not the militia. Um, because the militias at the at that time were the people. Exactly. You had them, you had I would, them I, I would like to 
you had like to be to ready about, to go out. I'd like to talk yeah. about both extremes of that too, which, which mm-hmm. by the way, are, I think are both true. Number one, yes, it's about the people being able to form a militia. And in the context of all that, uh, the Constitution was written in a time when one of the things that was fresh in people's mind were the militias that fought in the American Revolution. That said, uh, on, the, on one side, we're not particularly worried about an attack from Canada. They'll spend most of their time apologizing. But on the other hand, on the other hand, and this is important, I wonder how the citizens of Ukraine feel right now. Uh-huh. I wonder how the citizens of downtown Portland feel like every Thursday. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, you know, are the police going into Portland and, and actually rounding up criminals and protecting the citizens, or do they have a hands-off approach? And I think that everyone knows it's a hands-off approach. So there are many times that you may, I hope, I hope none of us have to, but if you have to defend yourself and you have to defend your family from, let's say, multiple attackers, well, the best tool for that right now would be a semi-automatic rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to sporting, by the way, there are many good hunting, being you brought it up earlier, there are many good hunting weapons that are semi-automatic. So you could, if you did want to make the hunting argument, you still can't get away from a lot of firearms being good semi-automatic. But you also have to know the math of self-defense shootings. Again, you can't, you can't just avoid the math. It generally takes about 11 shots yep. per bad guy. So you got two bad guys in your home. Well, you better have a 22 round magazine or you better be really good on the reload. And if you got three bad guys now, even an AR with a full mag may not do it. So we miss 80% of the shots we fire in actual self-defense scenarios. It generally takes two to three actual hits to stop an adversary. So you stick, uh, you know, a non-military, non-police, non-highly trained person in an extraordinarily high-stress situation where they're afraid that this group of people potentially are coming into their home to hurt their family uh, or hurt them in one manner or another. And then you, if you paint that scenario, which we've seen in America over the last few years, you can't say, well, then there's no point in having semi-automatic rifles. That particular person uh, you know, if, if they're still here to talk to you, it might be because of a semi-automatic rifle. So, you know, and, mm-hmm. and can I, sorry, I just have to jump in there. I mean, I've lived in America for 24 years and been all over the country, met all kinds of people. I've never heard anybody ever relate an incident where there's been, I mean, obviously, a probably sheltered compared to your experience in law enforcement or ever had uh, multiple bad guys of that nature yeah. invading a home like that. Yeah, you're sheltered. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But let me. I just want to play devil's advocate ju- here. Yeah. But guys, let me jump in here for a second. All right. Because let me historically put something else in context for you. I, uh, you know, I can argue the Second Amendment and stuff until the cows come home on in, in terms of every single aspect of it. But let me tell you about an organization that said almost exactly what everyone is saying here right now the Black Panthers for Self Defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Black Panthers were uh, uh, were an organization established in Oakland, California, back in the 1960s, 1970s. Their purpose for organizing themselves, their first purpose was for self-defense. Why? Because they were defending themselves against the Oakland and San Francisco Police Department, Mm -hmm. who could come into their communities, take people off their porches, and and these are documented incidences beat them, and then walk away laughing. So Huey Newton and a group of women 
And by the way, the majority of the Black Panthers across the country were women, not men. And the second thing was, is that the, uh, the laws in California allowed them to carry long guns, open carry. And as a result of that, the Black Panthers armed themselves, but that was not their major focus. It was the economic as well as the social uplifting of their communities, if you mm-hmm. read their manifesto. And yet here it is, we talk as if, no, these things, uh, you know, in terms of defense of community, defense of home, I believe in that. And I do believe as a black person in this country that people of color have just as much right and probably have just as much uh, need to be armed in terms of defending their homes as anyone else in this country. We ignore that sometimes. That's okay. Well, but when you look at but when you look at gun ownership, it still comes back to me, folks. No matter what I say, because don't forget, back in the day when the when the Constitution was written, the only uh, gun and stuff that they were talking about was a musket. They did not have automatic or semi-automatic weapons and stuff. So at some point in time, maybe we ought to get into the argument in terms of the evolution of those weapons. Uh, and does the Second Amendment still apply to those weapons or should there be some regulation around it? I believe that there should be some regulation around it. But I, again, I'm not in any way suggesting that the Second Amendment ought to be taken away. I think every citizen has a right to defend himself. But I get into something, uh, Bob Stavrula um, and Michael, that you have talked about, which is this concept of self-defense. And therein lies, and again, I go back to Trayvon Martin, for example, self-defense in this country is so misunderstood, totally misunderstood. And I think it becomes important for us that when we talk about responsibility as citizens, then let's talk about all of those aspects. And again, it's too much to sort of get into in this particular program, but I'd like to hear your thoughts, not about the specific weapons themselves, but more about self-defense. I think Stavrul's point about women and their intimidation around men is important, and maybe there should be some separate training. Uh, I would agree that separate training and attention paid for women. I also believe that there should be some separate attention um, and uh, some uh, uh, some credit given to those in the black community who are out there trying to defend themselves as well. Your thoughts? I'd like to point something out about um, gun owners in general. I find that the majority, I mean, if you think about how many guns and how many people own guns in this country versus how many of those gun owners who've gone through the legal process are irresponsible and like won't get training. I mean, I feel like the majority of people I've met who start learning about guns, they take it very seriously. And I think the number of responsible gun owners versus irresponsible gun owners is something that we should also think about because I feel like most people that I come in contact with at least take it very seriously. Well, and to piggyback on what Stephanie just said there, that's one of the things that I like to talk about people that say, oh, guns, guns this, guns are bad, guns are causing these mass shootings. How many mass shootings have we seen at shooting ranges? I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't see it, but how many guns are there? They're all over. And then people go, well, yeah, but that's at a shooting range. And my point is, yeah, Mm -hmm. and, and even if you had a mentally ill person, why wouldn't they attack a shooting range? Well, because everybody around is armed. 
So yeah. why are we now trying to take the guns away from everybody that can protect themselves? Let's not do that. My, Michael, I always make the joke when I'm teaching my active shooter classes is you'll never see an active shooter event at Bass Pro Shop. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like you never yeah. will. Like because like it'll be it'll be maybe one murder and then 14 people will light up that bad guy all at the same time. You know, so it's like like that church. Yeah. yeah. Like so. Um, yes. You know, yeah, exactly it's always a soft target and by you know as much as mental health plays a huge and, and like a lot of these bad guys these active shooter bad guys they're mentally ill they're not stupid and they they know that they go they deliberately go to locations that they know they'll be able to carry out their attacks they don't mm -hmm. go to locations where they're expecting a, a fair amount of resistance mm -hmm. their ultimate goal is to kill a lot of people mm -hmm. so you know it, again you can't blame the gun. however the gun is the tool of choice but Bob, doesn't that go to my point though in terms of the Black Panther Party? When they when they started arming themselves, the incidences of violence against them by the police dissipated. Exactly. A hundred percent. You bringing up the Black Panther Party is a perfect example of tyranny mm -hmm. by the government. Yeah. I mm -hmm. would say the law enforcement and not just the law enforcement, the entire government culture at the time would not protect those people. They had to protect themselves. And we've seen this many times in America. We've seen it in down south all the way up until like the 1940s, where, you know, it, it, there was many, many problems. And law enforcement was not on the side of, of, the, of, of the black community or the, the people. They were just kind of playing their games. You know, there's, there's many times you can break this down over and over and over in, in American history where groups have to protect themselves. They are not getting the protection that ideally they should be getting from their government, which, in my opinion, is the number one reason for government is to protect its citizens. They're not getting that. So they have to take care of it on their own. And that's the point of this. That's one of the many points. But what's a big point of the Second Amendment is that the people need to defend themselves from improper laws, improper law enforcement, all that stuff. And that's, you bring up, and that your point is exactly why the Second Amendment exists. And in my opinion, it's exactly why it needs to be consistent even today. When someone brings up the musket topic to me, I would say, listen, you want to fight and you're bringing a musket? I'll bring a musket. Let's see who's better at that. But if you're bringing, if you're bringing, a, I have plenty of muskets. If you're bringing a semi-auto, don't ask me to bring a musket. If you're bringing a gun, don't tell me I got to bring a musket. The tool, the weapons on the street, and the weapons that bad guys are using. Okay, you can't combat those weapons with a musket. So you have to be consistent. If the point is to defend yourself against tyranny, or if the point is even self-defense, if you wanted to bridge that argument, well, the bad guy's not coming in with a musket. So you have to have the tool that works against the bad guy. The whole point is to be able to defend your rights, your life against a bad guy. And the weapons the bad guy brings to the table are going to be way better than a musket. So you can't bridge that argument. So you can, you know, but at the time that was state of the art. You were, that was the assault weapon of, of the time. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling a little underpowered going up yes. against the musket with my bell-barreled blunderbuss. <laughs> Michael, to your point, uh, I love that you brought up this Black Panthers thing because this is something that I actually bring up to other people that a lot of a lot of people don't realize historically. And I'm sure you're very familiar with this, but if you look at it, uh, gun control laws really started to become rampant with the movement of the Black Panthers. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. 
Yeah. And, and that, and that speaks to, and, and I, you know, I'm not saying that gun laws by themselves are bad, but that speaks to the gun control argument. We didn't have a real gun control issue going on until, wait a minute, we've got the Black Panthers as a community arming themselves and preventing us from tyranny. We need to figure out a way to control those guns that they're accessing. So that does speak to what the Second Amendment's about, just like Bob was saying. And on top of that, you know, people want to argue about, well, the musket, the musket. And Bob, I loved your argument. That was beautiful. But the other thing is, look at the founding fathers and look at all the comments they make. All you have to do is do a Google search of their quotes about firearms outside of the Constitution. They all, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, they're all talking about the importance of arming citizens, even back then. Yeah, but Michael, I <clears throat> I will I will suggest to you that this is more than the Second Amendment. There's the 15th, 14th Amendment, uh, 13th Amendment. <clears throat> Don't forget, in the black community, and this is why I guess I am, I am, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm pro, pro-gun. I am pro-gun. I believe that people ought to be able to arm and defend themselves. But I also believe that our Constitution stands for more than just violence against the government, that our government ought to be responsible. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a whole nother show, guys. That's a yeah. whole nother show. Exactly. But the idea that the Black Panthers had to arm themselves in order to be able to force, in this particular instant, law enforcement to treat them with dignity. And then the reaction, because now, if you really want, we can get a whole nother show on the reaction of, okay, the gun control laws in California started to proliferate when suddenly the Black folks were arming themselves. And the society around them, controlled by others, said, oh, no, we can't have that. We've got to control those weapons and their access to weapons. And then we get into Fred Hampton and Huey Newton and some of the other things that the government perpetrated against those who they saw as a threat uh, in control, uh, in um, uh, in control, (laughs) Uh, the uh, uh, the government program to sell weapons uh, and drugs in the black community in order to fund the uh, uh, the wars in Nicaragua. We can get into a whole nother show, folks. What I don't do is fall in love with the idea that the Second Amendment is the be all and end all. We've got a whole constitution there that says government shouldn't be doing tyranny against its people. And yes, at the end of the day, my being able to arm myself, hopefully, and defend myself against whatever threat may come into my house. I'd really like your thoughts, though, about the idea of how we react when legitimate folks, so let's move away from the idea of the active shooter shooter of violence, because the Black Panthers, what happened there was, especially when they went to Sacramento, mm. to, uh, uh, when they were advocating for laws to help protect their people, okay, remember the reaction that came there. And if, the, and if our listeners don't know, please, uh, uh, before we do a program on that, uh, and we can get some folks from the uh, from the old Black Panthers and the new Black Panthers uh, to come on to our show, I hope. Uh, but do your research, do your due diligence, take a look at what happened when they went to Sacramento and tried to uh, and tried to promulgate laws to help protect themselves. I remember that. I remember that my first impression was the the silence as they 
walked up to the state capitol carrying weapons. And there was, it was, you want to talk about shock and awe, but <laughs> the fear was palpable, but also just the, the idea that this could be happening. And of course, the idea was greatly colored by the fact that these were black men and women doing this. But I remember the silence mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that's a topic of another show. Uh, doctor, I just want to say one thing, because you, you, you're basically, you said something that I live with every night I go to work. There's the way things ought to be, right. the way things they are. Yeah. And those don't go together, not in my line of work. You know, like mm -hmm. I shouldn't have done mm -hmm. my two domestics last night. That ought to not happen. That did happen twice last night. You know what I mean? Like, no. so as far as what people ought to do, I'm 100% with you. I, I agree. A lot of people should be doing the right thing. But, uh, you know, for 18 years, I've been dealing with people that don't do the right thing. So <laughs> there needs to be yeah. there needs to be some sort of way to regulate or defend against the ones that are not doing what they're supposed to do. So government included. And that's, I think, you know, getting back to it. And, and I hate to keep saying it, but that's the point of it is to kind of keep everyone in check. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, peace is not peace is not achieved by soft and delicate conversation mm. and just saying, you know what? I'd really like it. If you don't attack me, I don't like that. Peace is achieved through your fear of attacking me truthfully across the world. Why do people not openly attack the United States? Why are we not being attacked by Russia right now? Because they know what will happen if they do. And it won't be peace, love and Frisbee. Uh, as far as borders against each other, you know, it's, it's it's based on a almost like a respectable fear. And that's how, you know, unfortunately, that's the that's the history of the world. That's how peace is achieved. That if I go over there, I might not ever come back. So maybe I shouldn't go over there and just kind of stay here. And you know, so there are there are bad people out there that seek to do others harm. And the only way to regulate or keep those bad people from doing that is through instilling some sort of fear in them. And there you go. There needs to be a resistance. It, it, they ought to be nice and they ought to not be mean. But look up a history book. I don't care what year you grab. It don't matter. Go back. Be, go to Homer and read the Iliad. And like it's it. It you'll always find that one group's going to seek to do another group harm, and it's up to people to defend themselves from that group. Human beings are just not kind and gentle souls across history. Individuals are great, but organizations generally are not. Oh, yeah. actually, I was going to jump in with uh, two quick things before um, before we run out of time, uh, just because I, I am a skeptic and a recovering journalist. Uh, apologies for that. Um, <laughs> did uh, fact check the claim about the mass shootings around the world. And uh, it turns out to be uh, true if you define uh, mass shootings as three or more fatalities uh, in a single incident. Um, the U.S. does indeed rank 11th in the world. Uh, between 2009 and 2014. So um, I'm uh, pleased to have learned that. And um, also, uh, my experience with firearms was uh, pretty much most of my life from the military. I was in the uh, British equivalent of the National Guard. And uh, it always sticks with me uh, basic training um, with the grenade. You had um, two simple rules to follow. Throw the grenade, drop the pin. And there was one guy who did it the wrong way around. <laughs> And so there's always that question of, uh, <clears throat> thankfully, the instructor was able to grab the grenade and throw it out of the trench. But um, you, you can't fix stupid. I just throw that out there as well. No, that's 
that that's a that's a stumbling block we uh, we have dealt with in society since uh, uh, since well, well before Homer. Yes, uh, Michael. Well, do let you me, have... Yeah, let me close with this. I uh, uh, again, if we do a social justice, uh, diversity and equity and uh, racial uh, racism in this country program, I really wouldn't like to. Uh, uh, invite you guys back. I happen to do work in Alabama and the apartment that I stay in is right next to the Peace and Justice Museum. And the Peace and Justice Museum is uh, dedicated to those people who died and were documented as being lynched or killed uh, because of their blackness in this country. It has pillars that represent the names of all of those folks from all 50 states. There is, uh, and those names, and in, obviously these pillars, there are multiple pillars in some states that, uh, you know, when I'm talking about 15, 20 pillars with names at about uh, 14 font that have been inscribed into these copper pillars uh, on two sides. And it's, it's absolutely impressive and depressive at the same time to see the hundreds of thousands of people who were killed by lynching and violence in this country. Mm -hmm. And it's important, I think, to realize that it's not just a matter of, again, guns and ownership and the Second Amendment. It's a matter of, do we hold our government responsible? Do those principles of that no one is above the law, do they really stand for everyone? And I got to tell you that as a black person in this country, I, again, am not anti-gun. I am pro-gun. I am pro-protecting myself. If it comes to that, that is never my, uh, and I also happen to have been a karate student before I let myself go uh, and turned into the uh, Pillsbury Doughboy. But I also believe, too, in the philosophy that the first thing that I want to do is avoid violence at all costs. I want to run away from people who will do me harm. I want to get away from them. But if I am, and this gets into the point, Michael and uh, Bob and Stavrul, maybe we ought to have a whole show on nothing but self-defense. Let's talk about that and talk about it in the context of how sometimes that concept alone is used to abuse others. And that's why I talked about Trayvon Martin, for example, albeit the law may have said that, yes, you know, this guy felt threatened. And if he felt threatened, he had a right to uh, defend himself uh, from Trayvon Martin. But then Trayvon also had a right to defend himself. Who was right in that instance? Okay, I don't know. But I do know that the it's important for us to realize that this is a very important topic. I have enjoyed and truly continue to mm -hmm. enjoy the conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Bob, Stavrul, Michael. Uh, Michael, I'll let you know the next time I'm in California. And if you're in this direction, please let us know uh, so we can continue our interpersonal one-on-one. -on -one, uh, and I'll make sure and stuff again that my daughter won't... Uh, 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 won't take your arm off. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it, it has been an exhilarating uh, discussion, just an enlightening and eye-opening and instructive. I, I learned more about uh, 
how I can defend my home with a high capacity weapon. I don't think I'll start right now, but the highest capacity I've got is a little nine millimeter. So anybody one thing to the end. Yeah. I, and I just, just I just have we, the two muskets. <laughs> we actually did the same thing that almost everyone does is we started off talking about active shooter and we ended up talking about essentially gun control. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole thing, like we, we got off the active shooter topic quick and we went into training and we went into, you know, different firearms and types. And I think that that is a, is, is very common. And it seems like once again, instead of talking about what active shooter events are, what, 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 why they occur, what's most common, we just went, let's talk about the tool instead. And it's like, mm -hmm. that is so incredibly common in America. And I mean, that's what's happening in Congress right now. It's like, okay, let's not talk about what the actual situation is with active shooters. Let's talk about the tool. Let's talk about the root. Cause. Let's talk. Yeah. So it's like, we did the exact same yeah. thing. We all, we're all, we're all guilty of the same thing that everyone else is guilty of. Instead of focusing and staying focused on active shooter events, we talked about the tools. And then we talked a lot about like training people. Like it's like, it's not the good guys getting trained that are the active shooters. Like, that's right. not, that's not where it comes from. So, you know, I, I didn't even notice we were doing it until we were like, I don't know, 10 minutes ago. I'm like, we did it too. We did the exact same thing. Everyone else does, you know, yeah. like it's yeah, the show. How, how, how did that active shooter get to where he is? Right. Not what he's got in his hand or her hand, exactly. which we don't see that very often, yeah. but how did he get to that point? where he picked up a weapon of any kind and decided, I'm going to go to a school, I'm going to go to a, a, a grocery store, I'm going to go to a church, a synagogue, anything, and I am just going to start spraying the crowd. How do they get there? Not what they've got, because they could do the same with a car. They want to go to a crowded uh, drive through a, a parade, something of that sort. But why did they get there? And I and look, let me pose uh, a, a reason, because I absolutely love getting off the topic of the weapon and getting into some of the root, uh, some of the root issues. And let me tell you, and, and uh, for example, when I talk about the Black Panthers, as you may recall, I talked about them arming themselves, but I also talked about their manifesto in their manifesto, which most people don't want to talk about are things like breakfast for children mm -hmm. who don't have breakfast in the morning, lunch helping people with groceries, mental health and health care. The reason we don't want to talk as a society about the things in terms of root causes around this is because suddenly we get into social programs. As a country, we don't want to talk about helping our fellow man or welfare. So I'm with you, Bob. And at some point in time, I encourage all of us, let's come back. And that's why I really would like to invite you and Stavrul and Michael and all of us back again. And let's immediately go to how do we deal with some of the root causes of mental illness in this country or get people access to health care? We can do it. Well, Dr. Mike, Nick, I think we've covered an awful lot of ground on a contentious topic that we could continue forever, it seems. There's an awful lot to cover here. So I think at this point, Nick, why don't you take us out? It would seem that another more perfect union hour has flown by. And uh, if no one else has anything to say, we can say goodbye until next week. Now, if you would like to weigh in on our discussion, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv 
www.thepodcast.tv. Uh, if you enjoyed our discussion, just please let us know. Now, if you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. You can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online. Just visit our website, wfpr.fm. And for our guests, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Bob and Stavrula McQuarrie, Christopher Wolf joining us as always, and of course, our station manager, Peter J. I'm Nick Remesong. Oh.